0: 1 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, I'm sorry, it's actually 29, verse 10 through 19, stand with me for the reading of the word. The word of our Lord says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you you and praise your glorious name, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, All this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart towards you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple to which I have made provision. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray tonight. Just as the disciples came to you, Lord Jesus, and sat at your feet and asked, that you would teach them to, prayer, to pray. Lord, what a great example of prayer we have here in this prayer of this king. Teach us to pray, Lord, Lord, like kings. Lord God, that we would, Lord God, bring you glory, accomplish your will, Lord God, here on earth and in heaven above. Father God, I pray this in the name of Jesus with all the brethren here. Amen. So, what you have here is... You know, Again, the title of King's Prayer, Pray Like a King. Now, in this text, when we come to this point, David's desire was to build the temple. Okay? His goal was to, you know, build a temple of God, but God rejected David as the one who would build the temple. Why did he reject him? He was a warrior, shed a whole lot of blood. So God said to David, Your son Solomon will build the temple. Have you ever had. A request rejected by God. I'll just say this to you. God answers all prayer. He doesn't always answer them the way we want Him to answer them. You know, there's a yes, there's a later, and there's a no. This, this is a very adamant lo- no for David. But, you know, you'll notice this, again, as David comes into this prayer. He didn't sulk. Right? He didn't pout. Right? He didn't get, he didn't get angry at God. He prayed, and then he made all the provisions, the gold, the silver, the, the steel, the leadership, uh, to build the temple, basically gave that all to Solomon for the building. Now, when my son was a kid, there was this one video that we used to watch of David preparing to build the temple. Then Nathan comes to him and says, listen, you're not the one to build the temple. God is going to have another build the temple. And it's a beautiful picture. David, in this cartoon, he lays down his prayer cloth on the floor. And then he just gets down he begins to praise God. And again, it's, it, it's a beautiful picture of someone who God has said no to, but yet he continues to worship and glorify God. Now, in the prayer, and you know what you'll see in this prayer, a lot of similarities between the Lord's Prayer. So you, you, you're going to see this throughout, throughout this prayer. And a key thing to look at, again, when we talk about prayer, I used to think prayer, right, I used to hear people say, Oh, I prayed for an hour, I prayed for a half hour, I prayed for three hours. I'm like, how can you pray? You know, just I go to God with my shopping list, right? And I'm I'm done. And that's what most people think prayer is. They think prayer is just coming to God and saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and you're done. You know, you're done in, in three minutes. And that is only one aspect of prayer, supplication, petition, intercession, as asking God for things, but there is so much more to prayer, and that's what you you see here. So, break it down. First thing, the king praised the king of kings. So in, in verse 10 and 11, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. In fact, you see here, he blesses the Lord twice. David in Psalm 119 says, I bless the Lord seven times a day. It's a great goal to shoot for. He's verse 11, Yours, O Lord, and then he, I want you to, he says, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty, for all that is in heaven on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. So what you have here, David, he begins by praising God. And I'll give you something, just the words. In fact, one one key thing. Notice he calls God his father. You know what the word there is? Ab. Not Abba. Ab. That is the the word. So Ab. Abraham. Father Abraham. Okay, Ab. Ab. And it's a word of, of intimacy. It's a word that, you know, again, you, you, dad, he's taking, you know, just to a, to a deep, intimate level in his relationship with God. And then he, he says to him, yours, you know, I'll, I'll give you a throw, out some, just some quick Hebrew words here, had, it talks about God's beauty, geborah, God's strength, gedula, the dignity of God. Uh, Nechan, the victory. God is the victory, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty, the kingdom, and he's exalting God and he's praising God for His attributes. Now, a person who praises God, okay, they reveal essentially what they are. The person who refuses to praise God, they refuse. Uh, they uh, they. Essentially, demonstrate, okay, what they are. When when we worship God, now I'm going to use this illustration with you: the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, okay, in France, considered considered one of the the top three paintings uh, that have ever been done. What's the matter? You don't like the Mona Lisa? Well, you just revealed your heart. Now you 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 just you just messed yourself up with this big time with what I'm going to say. So. <laughs> The man, there's a guy standing there in front of the Mona Lisa. And the guard who stands in front of the Mona Lisa all day long, this guy says, I don't think much of it. I don't think much of the Mona Lisa. And the guard looks at him and says, the days of people judging the Mona Lisa are over. It is the Mona Lisa that judges the people. And what he is saying, (laughs) You you stepped... You stepped right in there. You stepped in a big pile of poop there. <laughs> he's, he's, he's saying that the person who doesn't see the beauty and the wonder in the Mona Lisa is revealing that, that when it comes to art, essentially, they don't have an eye for the beauty of art. Okay? They're essentially a fool when it comes to art. All right? That's... The, the concept. Now, let me just say this. Don't take this to a, a higher level. You may have your opinions about that. It. It's it's like, you ever hear some of these, these, you know, the critics, the pundits, the sports pundits, and they'll look at Tom Brady, and they'll say he wasn't a great quarterback. Are you kidding me? Or well, they'll, they'll look at Michael Jordan, and say that, oh, well, you know, he he wasn't he wasn't, you know, the great. Are you kidding me? Or they, you know, they'll look at a Mike Tyson, and you know, Mike Tyson to me, when Mike Tyson was in his prime, he could have beat any fighter in the history of boxing. He went through everybody, and they'll just you know again. But all that does is reveal it reveals right their foolishness. It re- reveals they don't have an eye for football. It reveals that they don't have an eye for basketball. They don't have an eye for boxing. It's like if somebody said, the Philadelphia Eagles were not a great team. Because <laughs> right now they're beating everybody, right? But that's, that's the picture. Now, if somebody looks at Jesus and they see his beauty, they see his wonder, they see his excellence, right? What they're revealing is what they are. They're revealing that, you know, that, that, that they have a, a, a pure heart, that they have eyes to see, and they're revealing their character. Person looks at Jesus, and they don't see anything, right? You meet people like that, I don't think much of Jesus. You know, I've even seen people say very derogatory things about Jesus. All they're doing is revealing their heart. They're, they're, they're revealing their godlessness, their sinfulness, their evil. So when we praise God, I'll tell you two great things I think that happen when we praise the Lord. One is we reveal what we are. When a person is genuinely worshiping and praising God, glorifying God, they're revealing what truly is in their heart. Another thing that happens with, with praise, when you are praising God, your faith is enlarged. That's so why you'll, you'll see this pattern throughout the Scriptures. And when Jesus taught the, the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you pray, pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy be your name. That's, that's praise. So when you're when you you praising God, it enlarges your faith. God inhabits the praise of his people. And it's, it's far better to go into prayer with your faith enlarged than to go in with you know, little faith or doubt or no faith at all. So just again, to look at what, what David is doing here, he begins here, uh, Yours, O Lord, right, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all things. He he praised these words. Again, it, he was a man after God's own heart. You know what he did here? He revealed his heart. He just revealed his heart. He sees the beauty, he sees the glory, he sees the wonder, right? He sees the magnificence of God. He's just revealing what's inside of him. And again, a man after God's own heart. person, again, who sees nothing, reveals that inside of them is nothing. So he begins with praise. Second thing here, the king acknowledged that all good things come from God. Verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. What David is saying here, the Lord, He's the source of all that is good. He's the fountainhead from which the river flows of all good things. Riches, honor, life, peace, joy. It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8.18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. You ever see people that are like look at hey, look at what I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at all that I've built. Right? It is God who gave that person the very power and the wisdom. To You look at Elon Musk. Elon Musk, what is he worth? Uh, uh, over a trillion dollars today. I mean, really, an amazingly brilliant man. I mean, just, um, Tesla is, is is an incredibly amazing company. And you know, you look at, at, you know, again his genius, that's all come from God. It's a gift from God. That, that, that wisdom, that power is a gift from God. And again, Dave, David is a, you know, you look at the greatest people in history, this guy, this guy at the time, he's the richest man in the world. He, he would have been worth over a trillion dollars in his time. He, he is a man after God's own heart. He's the greatest songwriter who has ever lived. What's the greatest song that's ever been written? It's not Grateful Dead, you know, Stairway to Heaven. It's not. For those Italians in here, it's not My Way by Frank Sinatra. Get that out of your head now, okay? What is the greatest song ever written? Psalm 23. He wrote wrote half the psalms. And he is one of the greatest warriors who has ever walked the earth. Incredible. He's a giant killer. He's a warrior. And and here he acknowledges that all of this that he has accomplished, again, has come from God. It's it's been a, a gift of God's power and wisdom. Third thing. The king gives thanks and praise. First Chronicles chapter 29.13 Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Difference between giving thanks to God and praising God. Do you understand the difference? We, we thank God for what he's done. So we, we thank God that he, you know, he died for us on the cross. We thank the Lord right, for the blood that he shed on his cross, giving his very life. We thank God for all the things that he's given us. He's given us His Son, He's given us His Spirit. Your life, your health, your career, your provisions, deliverance, protection, guidance. We thank God for all those things. We praise God for who He is. Thanks is again for what He's done. Praise is for, you know, who He is. So, He says here, we praise your glorious name. You know, what's in the name of God? God's name reveals, essentially, His character. His, his name reveals his attributes. I'll take you, you know, through this real, you know, real quick. So, you look here, you have Elohim. That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was Elohim. And um, you, you have, that's just simply the name God, or it's translated, right? It's just always translated God. And then you have Yahweh, the Lord. El Elyon, God Most High. El Roy, God Who Sees. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yahweh Yaira. The Lord will provide, God our provider. Yahweh Nisse, the Lord, my banner. That's the banner, the picture of the banner over our lives. Adonai, Lord. Yahweh, Elo Israel, Lord God of Israel. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. Then you have Akodesh, Israel, the Holy One of Israel. Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. Elolam, the everlasting God. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. Then you have Akuk. Yomin, the God is the Ancient of Days. And I'll probably mispronounce some of those Hebrew words. But to um, get the picture, and we say, Jehovah Rapha, or Yahweh Rapha, what is that? The Lord, our healer. So when, when, is, when David is praising the name of God, again, he's praising the very character, the attributes of God. That's a, a, a beautiful thing. Years ago, I read a book by H.A. Ironside called The Names of God. And it dealt with the names of the Father, and then it went through the names of the Son and the names of the Spirit. Again, it was there were three different books on how wonderful it was. I was a new believer just reading and learning these Hebrew names of God and how each one, again, is a great expression of the very nature of God. So very powerful. All right, number four. The king humbles himself before God. He says here in verse 14, but who am I? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that question? How many people do you meet every day who are totally blind to Jesus? Just totally totally blind. And you you know, you can even share with those people and they just don't see. And some of them, they're in your families, right? They're, They're people that you love. They're neighbors. They're people you work with. Relatives. And, you know, do you ever just stop and say, like, who am I? You know, I, I was in the gym business. I was a weightlifter, a bodybuilder. I wasn't looking for God. Well, he was apparently looking for me. I had no, never in my wildest imagination that I would ever be doing what I am doing today and for the last 40 years. And He, he found me. A people say, I found Jesus. Well, Jesus found me. And he came into life. And, and look, I, I, there's, there's a mystery here in this whole thing. But who am I that God would come into my life and save me, redeem me, forgive me, and then call me to what I'm doing? And I, I just, that, you know, there's a beautiful song, Who Am I? You ever hear that song? It's a great song. You find it. You go on. You go on YouTube. You put up "Who Am I," Christian song, and he says, "Who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims." And notice that again, we are aliens and pilgrims. We're just passing through this world. This is not our home. We're going home, right? I think if you don't sense that this is not your home right now, with what's going on in this world, man. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers, our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. But again, the picture, he's, he's praising God, just again, in humility. And that's a key, that's a key component of, of prayer, right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. There's no, no place for arrogance, there's no place for pride, when we are praying to the Lord, and then number five, the king acknowledges that God owns it all. In verse sixteen, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand, and is all your own. And you go in to the previous chapters of First Chronicles, and you see again what David had basically gathered. To give to Solomon, and again, gold and silver and iron and timber. Uh, I mean, it was, it was worth, worth trillions of dollars. But what does he do? He, he acknowledges that it's God's. And he's acknowledging stewardship here. But right? Every, everything we have, right, we, we, we talk about, right, God has given us time. He's given us talents, right, and he's given us treasure. But it's all his, you're never going to take it with you. I'm going to t- just tell you, I've, I've, I've put a lot of people in the ground through the years and no one ever took it with them. I mean, I, I, saw the, I saw relatives stick little knickknacks, right, in the coffin with the person. Cigarettes. A bottle of booze. You see stuff people do. Yeah, there's the bottle of booze on the side of the, you know, on the, side of the corpse by his hand. You don't take it with you. But there was one guy, he, he, got, he, he died and he got buried in his sports car. Sports car ain't going with him wherever he went. It ain't going to heaven, it ain't going to hell. That thing's going in the ground, it's going to rot. And it, it, it's the picture again, what we're doing here now, everything that we have is God's. And we manage it. If you manage it well, right, the parable of the, you know, the ten talents, right? One was given five, one was given two, one was given one. The one who managed the five, well, he got, he got five more. And the one who managed the two, he got two more. The one who managed the, or mismanaged the one, he buried it, that was you know, taken away from him. But David, you know, David just, again, very wise, very deeply spiritual man of God. It's all yours, God. You know what, that, that will help you. That will help you in managing your finances. It will help you when you realize you're managing his finances. I think you might do it a little bit more carefully and a little bit more, you know, better. And um, it will, I think, free you from a lot of the anxiety and stress that people go through you know, when they're trying to manage their you know, financial situations. Number six, the king knows that God takes pleasure in uprightness. So in verse 17, you have here, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I've seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. Now, I want you to look at the concept, God takes pleasure in uprightness. What does it mean to be upright? Essentially, it means to be in, a, in an even line with God, right? Where we line up with God. We line up with God's word. We line up with God's will. We line up with God's way, meaning Jesus. And, you know, we're, we're lining up with him and, uh, in thought, in word, in deed, in action. But God takes pleasure, you know, in that. And notice David says something. Here he says, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. And then he says, And as for me, in the uprightness of my heart I have willingly offered all these things. So it's it's about again the heart. God right looks at a man's heart. When David was chosen, right, what did what did you know Saul, right I'm sorry, Samuel say, you know, Saul was rejected. He chooses David and, you know, as he's choosing him, his father, Jesse, is like, Why didn't you choose my other sons? And he says, You know, God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward appearance. The other boys, Nadab, and they were Eliab, they were taller, right? They were more mature. David was a kid, he was a 17 year old kid. And um, he says, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. So here, what David is describing and uprightness of my heart. I willingly offer these things to you because people can be doing things outwardly and be doing them with the wrong motives. They can be doing things outwardly, right? But doing it, right, out of out of duty. Sometimes doing it begrudgingly. I said, you know, there's only one reason why we worship and serve God. There should be only one reason why you're here tonight. One reason. Right? It, it, it's not because of duty. Right? Some people are, you know, they, they go to church because it's about getting, right? Selfish. And by the way, there is a getting. You're going to get. There's no question. But that should not be the reason and the motive, right? The, the reason why we worship God and we serve Him is because of love. And that's, you know, that again, that's a, a, a willing heart that desires to serve God and worship Him and glorify Him. It, it, it flows from a heart, you know, a heart of love. That's, you know, that's key. So again, a, a picture here, of you know lining up right with God, and God takes pleasure in that. You know, when, when you when you're right with God, you will sense that pleasure in your life. There's a verse where it says God sings over his children. Like there, there's a, a there's a sense, there's a feeling when you are right with God. There's a, a great feeling that comes from that. And it's not just something that's welling up inside of you because, hey, I'm doing right. It's a supernatural, I think, manifestation of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And it's, a, it, it, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling to be experiencing that pleasure of the Lord, right, over our lives. You sense it, you feel it. I mean, you feel it in your heart of hearts. It's warm, right? It, it's comforting. And then the final thing David does, the king prays that God's will be done. And he's praying here for God's will to be done in the people and in his son, Solomon. So, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people. By the way, i just tell you this. This is a pastoral prayer. It's a parental prayer. Just what he says here, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart towards you. I pray this type of prayer for the church all the time. May you do the will of God. May the intents of your heart be to glorify God and honor God Right? Praying that for the church. And also praying it for my children. Praying it for my grandchildren. That essentially, would you fix, God, fix their hearts. That they would be fixed on you. Turn their hearts so that they would be turned towards you. And he goes on and then he says, And, and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes. To do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision, and that's a—I mean—that is a, a a beautiful petition. And then he ends just by exhorting the people to bless the Lord. And um, this is really kind of outside of his prayer. In verse uh, twenty, then David said to all the assembly, "Now bless the Lord your God." So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. So I, I was going through, I've been studying First and Second Chronicles over the last months and I came across that prayer and I've read it before. You know, again, you can be reading, I, I could read something, you know, a hundred times and then God just really starts speaking to me from that prayer but that prayer just blew me away. I said, what a, you know, what a great, you know, a great, you know, prayer and what a great prayer, you know, to pray. So I, I want to show you just in, in, in wrapping up, if you've ever seen the Narnia Chronicles or read the books and in the first um, the first Narnia Chronicle, uh, they have these four kids, right? And they're living, they're living in the 1940s during World War II and they, they go into a closet. C.S. Lewis. I mean, it's a great, it's, it's a great story. Young kids, older. I don't, it, you know, you'll just be blessed watching it or, or reading it. And um, it ends up these kids, they're essentially us. And C.S. Lewis, they're talking about, it's, it's, it represents the church, the people in the church. It represents you and me. And they're battling. They're battling the witch, right? Which is the devil. And you see the spiritual battle going on. And they're kids. But Asland, the lion, he's the lion of Judah. He's Jesus. And he empowers them with, with, with certain weapons of warfare. That they have to go out, and there's there's victory in the kids. The one kid fails; he he basically falls into temptation by the uh, by the witch, but then he's he's saved by Aslan. He's redeemed. And um, at the end of the movie, okay, and the end of the book, those kids are placed upon four thrones, and Aslan stands in between them. They're made kings. Kings. Do you know what the scripture says? Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests, has made us kings and priests to his God and the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And to, again, in, in Revelation 5.10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. If You notice in, the, in verse uh, 5 and 6, once we were helpless, hopeless sinners, washed by the blood of the Lamb, and then raised up to be a kingdom of priests, a basilica, a royal priesthood. To reign with Jesus, a royal priesthood. When we talk about our identity in Christ, we're ambassadors, we're servants, right? We're children of God, we're sons of God, we're daughters of God, we're adopted, right? Children of God. We have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, we have been sanctified, we have been justified. We're the light of the world the salt of the earth we are the loved and beloved of god well here's another part to our identity is that we are a kingdom of priests kings and priests how different would you behave if that really sunk in to be come part of your identity in christ I'm going to say this, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is ever trying to do in our lives is to imprint upon our hearts our new identity in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. Faith, have you ever heard that verse? You've heard that. Okay. Have you ever heard, this is the day the Lord has made? I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's on Faith's phone. Is that Psalm 118.24? I say it every morning. The, the, again, identity. We have a new identity, but yet we still have this 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 lagging part of us, this thing called the flesh. And that flesh, you're, The devil comes and he plays on the flesh to pull us back down, to pull us down into what we used to be, right? Sinners. You know what? And nowhere in the New Testament is a believer called a sinner. I know this shocks people. Paul called himself the chief sinner. He was aware. And I'm not saying that we, we, we still won't struggle with sin. But again, you have all these new identification names that have been placed upon us. God, God is trying to help us to forge a new self-concept in Christ. And again, I, I say modern-day psychologists. What do they tell us? that people always act and behave and think and even feel in accordance with their self-image. So when we begin to really receive that image that God has impressed upon us, and I think this is one of the key things that he does in transforming us, the more we become identified with who we are in Christ, the more we will act differently. And again, that is a work in progress for all of us, including me. Kings and priests, pray like a king. When you pray tonight, pray like kings. When you pray this week, pray like kings. There is authority that has come to us and power through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, let's stand. Worship team can come up. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for King David. And Lord God, I thank you, Lord, for the prayer that you prayed in First Chronicles chapter 29. Lord God, it is a great example. May we study it, meditate on it, Lord God. I have been reading it, Lord God, continuously day by day and praying it. I pray, Lord God, that many would do the same and that it would bring blessing to their lives. May we all, Lord God, learn to pray like kings. For in Jesus' name we pray this, amen.